0: Welcome to today's episode of The Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprints so we can learn to become who we were always meant to be. I'm your host, Jason Smith. If you haven't already, make sure you click the subscribe button and share the podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at J-Bird Fit. Today, I have a very special guest for you. She's a wellness consultant and behavioral health coach, Leanne Gersbryan.
1: Yes, and Jason, thank you for having me. My background, I'm one of those people who's fortunate in that I get to do work that I always knew that I was meant to be doing. Now, of course, I wasn't always sure what that looked like. Started out, I got my bachelor's in exercise science with a minor in health and wellness. And it was my second job out of college where I was working as a trainer and as a nutrition coach that I started to pick up on this common trend. And that was that when it came to our behavior and especially our health behavior, but really just our behavior in general, most of us knew the things that we should be doing. We just weren't doing them. And this was totally something that I could relate to, too. But I thought this was really interesting. So this was one of the big kickers for me to go back to school and get my master's in health studies and really hone in on human behavior change. Why is that? Right. And with that, too, I realized telling people what to do doesn't work. Right. Like, when's the last time someone told you what to do? And did that work? Did that create lasting, sustainable behavior change? And so that really now is what lies at the heart of my work.
0: And it's so funny because we spend so much time asking people all the questions of what I should do. And then once you get the answers, we just find it really difficult to start implementing them. And and so then there's this resistance to that type of change. And then, of course, we go down that downward spiral of, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable. And that's really the wall that we hit when we try to begin these new things.
1: Yes, like lack of knowledge is never the issue, or it's hardly ever the issue. But I see that all the time, too, especially with new clients who come work with me. They think they want to be told what to do. And I'm happy to give advice. I can. But a lot of times it's my last resort because they really already know.
0: Explain to us a little bit. what does a wellness consultant and behavior health coach do? What's your mission and vision? And what are some of the services that you provide?
1: So my overarching mission is to promote the autonomy we have over our own well-being. And that spills out into all areas of our life, right? The way we connect to ourself, with others, how we show up in work, in our relationships. Now, what that looks like with behavioral health coaching is I work one-on-one with people to help them instill lasting, healthy behavior change again operating under this understanding we kind of already know what to be doing let's not spend a ton of time with me just giving you advice let's go a layer deeper what's actually driving our behavior and take a closer look at that because i find that when we're actually able to tap into that that's when we can create lasting change and then the group work i do we're wellness consulting i partner with organizations and i teach workshops and i offer wellness programming to help make their employees healthier, happier, um, instill wellness practices for them, and then help companies create a sustainable culture of well being because that's important. That spills over into thriving networks and, and organizations,
0: it just goes into every area of your life and i I can't stress that enough if people only understood that by making some simple changes and and they sound simple but it's again it's really difficult to begin implementing these changes into your life but it just bleeds over and permeates every area of your life so if you're struggling in one area and you start making improvements in that particular area it's going to start to bleed out to everything else that you're doing and you're going to start to feel better stronger capable more resilient you know all of the, the positive effects that come from that
1: that's so true. I love that you said it bleeds over. I call that the spillover effect. Like you said, you make one change and it slowly starts to spill over into all areas of your life.
0: Yeah, you just don't realize the momentum that you're actually creating by, oh. focus, by focusing in on your habits or the patterns of behavior that are keeping you feeling stuck.
1: Momentum is such a powerful thing. And it's going to swing in one direction or the other We just have to take a little responsibility to get it swinging in the direction that we want it to go. And then naturally, the rest will follow.
0: How do you get people to start to take ownership and responsibility of those things?
1: Starting really, really small is what I will have the most success with. So a lot of times we'll make a deal in the beginning, like, okay, we're going to commit to one thing this week. But the rule is, it has to be something that feels easy enough to do even on the days we don't feel like doing it, because it's less about attaining success in the beginning and more just about getting our momentum swinging in the direction that we want it to go.
0: (laughs) That's so hard. And even for myself, I'm guilty of this. It's like, you start diving into this, you're making changes, you're doing really well. But then that day comes where you're just like, "I, I don't want to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, we get a momentum going. And then we have one day where we're like, I really don't feel like doing it. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is so relatable. To be honest, this morning was kind of one of those mornings for me where I was like, I feel tired and I just don't have the usual like mojo. And so for me, I was like, I have to move slower today. Like I'm just really gonna slow down. But it's so true. And it's so normal and relatable that we all have those moments and those days. When
0: that happens, do you get like an element of shame that kind of comes over you in that experience? Or have you done well with kind of combating that?
1: That's a good question. I'll walk you through kind of what was going on in my head. And I'm, I'm not sure that shame is is what I was feeling. But so woke up, the alarm went off at 5 a.m. as it does. And I was like, God, I really want to hit snooze. But I know in my head, right, that like this can throw up a whole sleep cycle. I'm usually not a snoozer at all. So I was like, I'm going to get up, start my day, get outside and go for a walk. That's what I do. Um, but about like halfway through the walk, I was like, still not feeling it. Still not. Usually that'll get me moving. So I came home moving all slow. I will say, and maybe that was something that I experienced more in the beginning, Um, but now I understand that this it's normal, you know, we are human beings who are going to have waves. And so learning to just kind of be a wave rider, as opposed to placing a secondary emotion on top of whatever I'm experiencing has been helpful with, eliminating any feelings of of shame
0: i tell you what i've got that inner voice that's like you have to do this because if you don't do this there's all these negative consequences that are going to happen and it's like you have to learn i I call it tools of resilience to be able to navigate those thoughts feelings and emotions that kind of wash over you in that in that moment because you're like i don't want to do this i'm not feeling it and it's what Andy Frisella calls the inner bitch voice. You know, you push through and and you do it anyway. You make it happen because no one ever said after a workout, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And learning to listen to yourself too, right? Like, am I just having a bitch mode moment or is my body really asking for rest?
0: And so how can we tell the difference between the two when we're just really, this is a moment where it is okay to rest?
1: I would say two things. One, get started. So like I just shared with getting outside and getting moving once you're five minutes in it's that momentum concept right you've started swinging your momentum if still your body's like hey no this isn't it then like okay maybe it's really not it today but a lot of times i think if we get started then we're going and it's like okay it it was a bitch mode moment Uh, that and i would say too again the practice of slowing down so for me that looks like just taking a few deep breaths and being like hey learning to slow quiet the internal chatter and just ask like what do you really need right now
0: a lot of the key topics that we talk about a lot of times that you know people just seem to hone in on number 1 would be losing weight and how do you help individuals lose weight and what is your philosophy on that
1: a few things here When it comes to weight loss, I definitely see the the concept of momentum is so important. So going back to what I shared about starting with something that feels easy enough to do, even when we don't feel like doing it. So week one, we're going to make a commitment. And this can be however big or small you want it to be, right? But... the whole idea is that you are in the driver's seat. So I'm like a passenger next to you, but really you're steering and you're setting the pace. So if you're ready to go hard week one, great. Like we're going to outline, okay, what do we, you know, what's that look like? The specifics of that, as far as a movement goal, a nutrition goal. But a lot of times we're not ready to go that hard, that fast, because we've tried that in the past and then we've gotten burnout And then we quit. And then like you said, we think there's something wrong with us because we can't do it. And then unfortunately that
0: becomes a cycle that you repeat. Yes.
1: Yes. And that's how we get kind of stuck. Um, When in reality, a lot of times we just didn't have the necessary components like a really specific plan in place and someone to hold us accountable because it doesn't matter who you are. We all benefit from accountability.
0: What would you say is the biggest hurdle with your clients that they experience in their weight loss journey and how do you help them with that?
1: What I think is most common when people come see me in the beginning, you know, you're all gung ho, you're invested now, you're ready to go week one, you're all excited, you may be ready to set some ambitious goal too. Um, And so that's like week one, week two, that momentum's really much alive. And then the the excitement, like the sexiness of it kind of wears off. And so then maybe week two, week three, you're starting to feel like you're dragging ass a little bit, or maybe you're not meeting the goal that you set for yourself. And that's where I think really the work begins. Cause that's when those internal voices kick in. Like I knew I can't do this or like I just don't have the willpower. When again, that's not actually true but we keep telling ourselves that and I call these thinking habits and these thinking habits are creating physical habits. So that's where like, we got to get in there and say, okay, what is this voice you're hearing? Can you identify it? And for some people, it's a, it's a clear thing, right? Like, I just don't have the willpower. I've had other clients describe it as just like an underlying hum in the background of just feelings of that or produce produced feelings of, of defeat or discouragement. Um, so we're identifying those and then choosing ahead of time how we want to respond to them when they come up. So maybe week three, you are experiencing a lot of that. Then we're going to talk about that. And then, okay, this upcoming week, all you have to focus on this week is how we're going to respond to those thinking habits that are creating our physical habits.
0: And it's one of those things we're so used to looking at the evidence of why we can't do something. That we don't look for the evidence of why we can we're not celebrating the small wins along the way i got up today i got out of bed you know each one of those little things is a win i drank a liter of water that's a win i went to the gym that's a win and we have to learn to celebrate each one of those and see that as evidence for support of why we're going to be successful with our journey
1: that's such a good point i mean the brain's negativity bias right for every, you know, we're attracted to about a five to one negative to positive emotion thought ratio. Um, and that's a survival mechanism that our brain has, has evolved over time to help us survive. But I think understanding that is important because it can help give ourselves compassion. And compassion is way more productive in producing long-term change than just beating ourselves up.
0: I can tell you one way that I've learned to manage my stress and anxiety has been through breath work. But I'm curious, what are some of the key ways that we can begin to manage stress, not only at work, but in the home with our families as well?
1: I would say it starts really small, again, of course, with ourselves. sucking in with our breaths, practicing inserting deep breaths is, is a really good start. And when we start to do this, for example, before a meeting in the workplace, then it's slowly going to start to trickle over into other parts of our life, like in a heated conversation with our partner at home. But the thing is here too, like, again, we know we should be doing these things. We're just not always doing them or we haven't practiced them consistently enough to reap the rewards from them. So we got to be really intentional about, okay, let me outline, like when am I going to practice this and how? So for a lot of people that looks like quite literally scheduling it in their calendars, writing it down check-in off their to-do list, or putting a reminder on their phone. I have one that goes off at 2.30 p.m. every afternoon that's like, reminder, check-in with yourself. So getting really intentional about when we're going to do these things and how we're going to get them done.
0: I want everybody to listen to what she just said right there because I think it's really important. Those simple reminders that you put into your phone have the power to move your mind and create that. Again, we're talking about the momentum in the direction that you actually want to go, especially if you're somebody who's suffering from a low sense of self-worth that I think so many of us struggle with. You can put in an alarm for I am loved. And that goes off three or four times a day, whatever it takes. And you're going to have that positivity that just pops in that reminds you, yes, I am loved. I do love myself. I can do this and I'm moving forward. This is happening.
1: I love that, Jason, for two reasons, two thoughts just popped up. One being like what you're describing is a trigger, right? Something that triggers our brain, and practiced enough soon that's going to become natural, right? Like anything, so we won't always need to insert these triggers, Um, and that's why they're so effective. And then the other thing, too, is really taking time to feel what that feels like underneath the thought, right? So, you had mentioned like Reminding ourselves, I'm really loved. So sometimes you can, it's easy to see that on your phone and be like, okay, yeah, I'm really loved, put it down and go back to the next right. thing. But I've had to get in the habit of being like, oh no, like, let me stop, take a deep breath, do whatever I need to do to feel the emotion that's underneath that thought, because it's the emotion that is really driving here that's really gonna make it stick sticky in our minds and in our bodies
0: yeah how can I make that a part of my DNA that is just something that exists within me that I recognizing I am love it's not just that I'm loved I am love so this is always a good one (laughs) and and it gets me because for the longest time we take stress but then we also take our relationships to food and, and other things and for me it was always chips ahoy chocolate chip cookies I could sit down After a busy day at work, or I'm stressed over something else, and I can take down a tube of cookies, and it's like, afterwards, you're like, man, I feel so great. But as the weeks go on, and they carry on, obviously, your fitness suffers because of it. This is probably one of the most controversial topics. But what does it mean to actually eat healthier?
1: Okay, so first, I want to acknowledge how normal that is, too. I definitely had my own emotional eating thing that I had to work through. And it was a big part of my realization, like, whoa, I'm in this field. I'm a personal trainer and a nutrition coach, and I eat every time I get sad. And not only do I eat, but like I eat a lot. Right. <laughs> Clearly, there's more here. So, but we're just
0: blind yeah. to it. We don't recognize it. It's just something that that we do. We've always done. That coping mechanism has always been there. The food that whatever the particular food is might change over the years, but it's always like from from what I've seen, it's always that one particular thing that you go to every single time.
1: For me it was one food group. It was carbohydrates and any and all of it. <laughs> Yeah. Good, and you're right. I mean, it took <laughs> it took years for me to be like, "Whoa, this is actually really what's going on here." For a while, it was just a habitual reaction. To your to your first question about what it means to eat healthy. What a question. <laughs> this will of course look different for all of us. I have clients come to me like, well, is intermittent fasting good for me or bad for me? And I'm like, there's one way to find out. <laughs> Some people respond really well to it and others don't. So Can we, can will- we
0: divert for a second? What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? Because you got people like James Smith that says, oh, so you just ate less today.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> right. So how do you look at intermittent fasting?
1: I like to go the intuitive eating route. Are you hungry? Y- yes eat that should be your one rule it, are you not hungry no hey don't eat <laughs> right um it sounds overly simple trust me i know it's way easier said than done but intuitive eating is the word that or the the approach that i prefer
0: yeah and, and a good question to ask yourself when you're going through this is are you hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? especially when we're starting to make those choices for ourselves.
1: So with this too, I will really, and again this is easier said than done, but if we can get in the habit of trying to instill curiosity over like a, a either judgment like I can't do this or just a quick approach. Um, so curiosity is openness. so it's being willing to try. being willing to like if you're really fascinated about intermittent fasting, okay, try it for a week see if it works for you. And we can make some tweaks as as you go. Uh, But there really is no one size fits all approach here.
0: And as far as intuitive eating, can you expand on that a little bit more?
1: What I mean by intuitive eating, again, is of course, learning to slow down and listen to our, our body's hunger cues. And so it's kind of a rule of thumb here that I can provide or that I'll provide for clients is, let's say we have a one to 10 scale. And one is I'm so hungry, I could eat a family. And 10 is like, I'm so full, I'm going to explode. Let's try to stay between a three and a seven at all times. So you know, when you're is mealtime coming up, if you're at like a three or four, great time to eat. Um, And then try to stop eating around a seven. Now this is tricky, because it takes about 20 minutes for our guts, our bellies to tell our brains that we're full. So again, this is where the importance, the practice of slowing down comes in. And we can do this by by small tweaks, tweaking things outside of us while not feeling like we actually have to change ourselves. So what this can look like is using smaller plates. One study found that going from 12 inch plates to 10 inch plates resulted in a 22% calorie reduction per meal. Now over the course of a year, for the average American who's eating about 800 calories per dinner, that's a 10 plus pound weight loss. But that comes from changing something outside of you while not actually changing yourself and for a lot of people and very relatable that can be a breath of fresh air like oh i don't really have to do too much leg work here so trying to take the leg work and a lot of times we can look at this as like our willpower too which is a really finite resource uh relying less on that and more on these external tweaks um another one that and going back to the intuitive eating example, again, practice putting your fork down between bites, learning to slow down and listen to our bodies because intuitive, that's what intuition is, right? It's it's listening to our inner voice.
0: Yeah, I can't do that. If I got a plate of pasta in front of me, I got to take the whole thing <laughs> down and I'm not stopping. It's just not, not yeah. how I work. Go mode. <laughs> yeah. When we're going grocery shopping, um, what does that look like for you? Or what do you suggest for your clients?
1: I usually don't. My certification is a nutrition coach. I'm not a registered dietitian. So I will not provide meal plans for clients. Um, That being said, I will provide things like recipe books or suggestions. Now, suggestions when it comes to grocery shopping. First, what I like to do is I'll make a list ahead of time and then stick with that. And then I won't go to the grocery store hungry because that's a terrible idea. We all have to learn that one the hard way. (laughs) Um, But these things, I'm sure. And then two, we should be staying on like the outskirts of the grocery aisle or the grocery store, right? Most of the stuff inside the middle of the grocery store is, is is not where we want to be spending most of our time nor money. But I'm not saying anything that other people haven't, haven't said before.
0: I'm the same way when it comes to just going to the grocery store. It's stay on the outskirts. I generally eat of the earth. However, I'm also not limiting myself completely from some of the things that I really enjoy. I don't have the Chips Ahoy cookies, but the, the Aldi fresh baked cookies are actually pretty good. So once a, once a month, I get a container, and you know, I limit myself on how much I'm willing to actually take in, and I think that's gen- for most of us, that's going to be okay.
1: Absolutely, right? Um, yeah, because it should never feel like restriction. That's when we start to drain ourselves of our willpower and then eventually we we tap out. So it should feel more like, like balance and like, oh, I get to create some balance here as opposed to like, oh, I can't eat
0: that. I can tell you I'm in this place right now of restriction is just gonna have to happen. Last year I was recovering from shoulder surgery and a neck injury. And so if you've ever had a shoulder surgery or you know somebody that has, uh, it takes a while to recover from that. You're, it's easily 10 months and it's really at the one year mark where you're like back to doing pushups and pull-ups and you're, you're feeling really strong and capable of doing things. Here we are a year later and I've added a lot of muscle, which is great, but the scale isn't changing. So for me, I'm getting a little frustrated with that because at 185, I feel like I should probably be around 15 pounds, at least lighter than where I'm at right now. So for those of you who are struggling with some of this stuff, uh, just recognize that, you know, the the numbers on the scale don't necessarily matter because when you add on muscle, you know, it's really, I I look at how I feel overall. And so right now I'm feeling a little overweight at 185, but uh, you know, that's definitely been a struggle for me. What kind of advice would you give to some somebody who's who's going through something like that
1: yeah i'm glad you said that about the scale throw it away yeah (laughs) or very i've I've had people put it in their closet and that's great because we can get really married to a number which is instinct we want to see results for the work we're putting in let's try to shift more into like you said how am i feeling those are the results that we're after because that's really the big the genuine thing that's gonna make it stick you know, feeling good feels good. And there's a reason it feels good to feel good. And so once we can tap into that, naturally, then we're just going to keep wanting to do more of the same things that make us feel good. Anything else is, is, is kind of short term. It's, it's usually more extrinsic. And therefore, it doesn't always result like lasting, sustainable change. So really being able to tap into how do I want to feel and what are the things I'm doing that make me feel that way? If we can focus more on on what we want, we really tend to overlook that in the change process. Um, we tend to get really honed in on like, okay, I will do this, I won't do this. Like, oh, I will eat fifteen hundred calories this week and per day, and and that's it. But but really, we're, we're spending a lot of energy there, which can be draining, and less energy on like, wait, what do I really really want, and how do I want to feel, and let that. Practice letting that be the driver of our behavior. So when we're in those moments, like I really want the cookies, tra- practice like inserting, okay, long term, like how do I want to feel? We're just practicing thinking that more and more and that mental muscle will grow over time.
0: The tool that we can give to people is the power of journaling. And Ooh. I suggest this for everyone when, when you're going through that experience or you're having that hard time or you're, you're having these negative thoughts, feelings and emotions, sometimes grabbing a sheet of paper and a pen, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It doesn't have to be a leather bound journal and a hundred dollar pen. You just grab a sheet of paper and a pencil, a writing utensil and just go to town and start writing what you're actually feeling in that moment. But then the important question, we said this three times already, how do you want to feel? Because right now you're feeling one thing, but how do you want to feel? And then how can you close that gap in that moment to get to where you want to be?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good, Jason. And that can start because I've had people be like, well, where do I even begin with journaling? That can start with literally just writing out, I feel low, tired, whatever it may be. And then like you said, I want to feel. So now you have at least an A and a B. And then if you can instill just one little action item, even if it just takes five minutes today to That will help close the gap just that much between A and B. That's great. That's one little tick, like in your momentum.
0: And there's no right way to journal. Uh, So many of us were such little people pleasers, and we learned to do, you know, everything's got to be correct, and there's got to be steps in a process, and it has to be this way. And you can't, don't embarrass anybody. It's like (laughs) just. Give yourself some grace and just start writing you know let it flow and and when you begin to do that you're going to find that a lot of answers to a lot of your questions just naturally start to come to you you may find yourself being one of those people that goes out and asks five different people well how should i feel today what should i be experiencing well no you need to sit down for a minute calm yourself sit in the discomfort of your own mind for five minutes and really dive into what you're going through in that moment and the answers will just come naturally
1: yeah, and that's so normal in the beginning of the process because again, if what we're trying to instill is is feeling good long term, we only we know what that feels like for us. So we have to be able to get really in touch with that, and that's not going to come from someone prescribing us a really specific plan because what worked for you may not work for me and vice versa. So that's where experimentation comes in. Again, yes, you should have some guidance along the way. Accountability is huge, um, but being willing to experiment and find what sticks for you. I totally made that mistake in the beginning when I started meditating. I was like, okay, I'm meditating 20 minutes every morning, 20 minutes every evening. And then it took me months to be like, wait, I don't think I'm actually getting that much from this. Let me tweak this to find what works best for me.
0: It can be as simple as, well, you add binaural beats into your meditation. Maybe guided meditations don't work for you, and so you add the binaural beats. But you may also find, I'm actually feeling really anxious, and I can't settle into meditating right now. Well, that's an opportunity to say, okay, well, I'm going to pop in a podcast in my headphones and I'm just going to go for a walk and try to get rid of some of that nervous energy and then come back later on to sitting down and trying to meditate.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what you're describing is just creating this toolbox for yourself, which we should all have. So, you know, knowing what tool to pull out at what time is really, really useful. And that just comes through practice, having meditation, journaling, movement, a walk and a podcast. These are all great tools to have in your toolbox. So a question to ask ourselves, all of us is, yeah, what's in my toolbox? And, And now once we have this like this big toolbox, when we're in the moment, then we can be like, okay, what do I need to pull out right now?
0: I know everybody calls it a toolbox and it is, but I like giving it the additional name of it's tools of resilience, because now mm-hmm. we're, we're switching it in our minds of this is making me stronger. I'm more capable. I'm learning things. I'm extracting the lessons. I'm becoming stronger in whatever it is that I'm experiencing right now. And it doesn't have power over me. I'm taking my power back over everything else that's going on right now.
1: Yeah. 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 And that is powerful, right? Because yeah. that shows us like I'm in charge of, of my experience. My, my external world isn't necessarily dictating what's what I'm experiencing. I have way more internal power than I maybe initially thought or maybe initially gave myself credit for.
0: When we start talking about replacing unhealthy habits, what are some of the key patterns and habits instead of tips and tricks to replace unhealthy habits And what are some examples of unhealthy habits that keep us feeling stuck?
1: What I see with that, the first thing that just came to mind was thinking habits that then just kind of destroy their like little momentum killers. So common ones that I hear are, again, when we the sexiness kind of wears off and the initial like motivation is gone. And then we're starting to like not meet a weekly goal and feeling like, I can't do this, or I don't have the willpower, or I don't have the time. Um, I don't feel like it. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the time are three of the biggest barriers that I hear around that. And again, I call these, these thinking habits. But if we can look at them that way as, as thinking habits, just like we do physical habits, because we know we can change our physical habits, but knowing that we can change our thinking habits too that too is where our power lies because our thoughts create emotions, which create behavior. So some unhealthy, those are examples of of thinking habits that I hear often that don't serve us. So again, if we're able to identify what those are and then choose ahead of time for how we want to respond to them. So for instance, say I have this thinking habit of "Ah, I can't do this. I don't have the willpower. This always happens to me. Um, Okay. Slow down. Like how do you want to feel there? Like you shared earlier. Let's practice identifying that, planning ahead for how we want to respond. So maybe in that scenario, when I hear myself say that, I want to ask myself, let me pause and take a deep breath and say, okay, hold up. What's one thing I can give my best future self right now? Find something that resonates with you and practice instilling that instead. Uh, Maybe it is a thought like, oh, I'm really loved, whatever it may be. Um, we're replacing thinking habits as we're replacing our physical habits, understanding how those two are really intimately interconnected.
0: You went right into my next question of timekeepers and time hoarders. How can we overcome that that thought of, I just don't have the time?
1: The biggest thing I would say, and it's going to sound contradictory, is practice single tasking over multitasking. When we feel like we don't have the time, we have a lot on our plates. I don't have the time. So a lot of times we're trying to get a lot of things done all at once, when in reality that actually drains us and makes us way more less productive in the long run. So if you have a list of things you need to do, practice doing just one at a time and our brains will function optimally in like from a 20 minute to one hour window of you can call this a power hour. No distractions, single tasking, one thing at a time, and then give yourself a break and then move on to the next thing. So again, it can sound contradictory, like I have to get all these things done. Start with just one and put all your energy there and give yourself a time, whether you work best in 30-minute segments or 60-minute segments.
0: I love the idea of single tasking because when you're trying to do too many things at one time, it's anxiety-inducing but it also creates a certain amount of chaos. If you're trying to clean the bathroom, but cook dinner at the same time, you've got all these moving parts that are happening and you're just going to feel spread thin in that moment. You're going to feel chaotic.
1: Definitely leads to overwhelm. You were talking in the beginning too about how our, our good habits spill over single tasking while eating. If you are someone who mindlessly eats, This was something that really helped me through my emotional eating. Like, okay, when I'm going to eat, I'm going to sit down and eat and do nothing else. I'm just going to be really present with my food.
0: When we're talking about mindfulness practices, what is a mindfulness practice? And what does that look like?
1: Essentially, what it is, is learning to be mindful of where our attention is of our thoughts or our thinking habits that again, are creating our behavior. So a few different things that can be practiced here are establishing a meditation practice. It's learning to listen to our thoughts, which then allows us to become aware of what our thoughts are producing for us. Emotions, which are producing actions, which are producing habits, which are essentially really shaping our lives. Um, So again, a meditation practice, breath work, learning to slow down just the act of single tasking, practicing slowing down and checking in with ourselves and with our minds. Hey, where am I at right now? What thoughts am I entertaining? And are these conducive to producing what I want to produce?
0: Leanne, I want to thank you for being a part of the podcast today. If I wanted to work with you directly, what does that process look like? And where can people find you and your coaching services?
1: So you can head to my Instagram, lgbwell, or you can head to www.lgbwell.com. Now, again, I offer wellness programming for companies and one-on-one behavioral health coaching. So most of the time when people come see me for behavioral health coaching, it is through weight loss. Uh, weight loss has always been a passion of mine. I mean, growing up, my favorite show was The Biggest Loser. I worked at a youth weight loss camp growing up. Like, <laughs> I love it. Um, and I tell a lot of my clients, and granted this of course is, is person-to-person dependent, but the idea is not for you to need me forever. I'll tell people, hey, if you still need me after three months, I may not be doing a very good job. Now, of course this will vary a little bit person-to-person But again, the idea is not for you to work, for us to work together forever. It's for you to get the tips, the tools you need in your toolbox or some practices to instill and have someone to hold you accountable until you feel like you have that self-accountability instilled to be doing it on your own. That is the one-on-one stuff. And then companies, I really encourage leaders, um, if you don't have any kind of wellness program within your organization, I mean, this can, net thriving can vary up to 70% based on the well-being of your employees alone our people are truly we all know this our most valuable assets and we have to be willing to invest in them so like I said I offer workshops to companies to help instill wellness practices and wellness programming so that can also be found at lgbwell.com
0: Leanne thank you for taking the time with us today and I'm sure we'll do this again soon
1: yeah I would love to and thank you so much Jason